Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. All right, we are live. Well, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Jew3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of Jew3 Project. And today I'm very excited uh, because we have someone uh, that I have admired from afar, uh, Dr. Martha Simmons. Welcome, Dr. Simmons. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Great to be with you, too. And you have uh, done so much work um, in the African-American Christian community. And you your work has paved the way for women like me to come and, and do the work that I'm doing. So I'm th- so thankful for you blazing the trail for us. Blessings. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> for those who uh, don't know who you are, could you just give them a little bit of background? A hmm. uh, little bit of background. Uh, I've been in ministry uh, about 32 years and have, uh, during that time, done a variety of things. Uh, Primarily, uh, my focus uh, for most of that time has been on African-American preaching and making sure that the world knows more about it, making sure that preachers do it better, uh, and just trying to be a sage in the area of homiletics, especially for our community. So I uh, was the president of the African-American lectionary. Uh, At one point I was the editor, then became the president slash co-owner and the pulpit ran for about 13 years. Um, The African-American pulpit journal remains the only African-American owned homiletics journal in history. I followed that up with the African-American lectionary uh, which is remains online, although we stopped updating it a couple of years ago. It remains online, and online you can find about 220,000 pages wow. of material for preachers in the area of homiletics, worship, and culture. And people continue to use that lectionary around the world every day. They're using it in schools, they're using it in nonprofits, so we're proud of that. Uh, And while I, in the midst of doing those things, I was also publishing books, uh, the Norton Anthology of African-American Preaching, which is called Preaching with Sacred Fire, African-American Sermons from 1750 to the Present, is a 960-page anthology uh, that I co-edited with uh, Dr. Frank Thomas. It's the only uh, African-American preaching anthology in history. Then about four years ago, I started just working primarily with women of color in ministry to help them move forward in uh, the areas of education, education, to provide advocacy for them, mentorship for them, and to ultimately help them get jobs. So that's a little bit about me. (laughs) You're doing a lot, and I'm appreciative for it. We actually have um, the lectionary as a reference on our website. So um, Good. Uh, we do try to uh, promote that because it's such a great resource and such a, a needed resource for our community. One of the things we want to talk about here is your book, uh, Preaching with Sacred Fire, mm-hmm. the anthology, because it's such an important book. Um, when we, 
as an apologetics organization, one of the things that we're faced with in our community is this whole concept of Christianity being westernized and hijacked. And so people kind of in our community, some of the millennials are coming up thinking that it's the white man's religion without knowing the rich history uh-huh. of uh-huh. the African-American um, community in, in, in Christianity in America. Um, was, was that one of your inspirations behind or what was the uh, inspiration behind doing the anthology? The inspiration started way back in seminary. It just boggled my mind that as much as black folk love preaching, we didn't have our own anthology uh, on mm-hmm. preaching. And so for years, I just say, why don't we have an anthology? Why don't we have an anthology? What? And then God spoke and said, we don't have an anthology because you haven't created it. Um, <laughs> so uh, that was the genesis of the anthology. And I guess what was behind that was that I grew up believing in the power of African-American preaching and theology. Uh, I knew the history. I knew that it helped our people survive under the most horrid circumstances in this country. Uh, I knew that we had preachers who were also uh, political leaders. We had preachers who were social justice advocates. We had preachers who opened schools when we couldn't get into white people's schools. So I always had a great deal of respect for African-American preaching and African-American preachers. Um, so the anthology was just a natural outgrowth of that, especially for someone who loves preaching as much as I do. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 as you were talking, I just... I have the same interest in 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 exposing people to African-American preaching because so often our, our our legacy gets kind of pushed to the side. So the fact that you the work that you've done kind of pushes that forward and pushes back against that narrative. And you highlight in in the anthology the importance of being liberation theology and you cross denominational lines and you show the diversity of thought in the African-American community because so many times people like to paint black preaching with a broad brush. Um, why was it so important for you to do do that? Well, because the African-American community, faith community, is no more homogenous than the white faith community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are people who believe in mysticism like Howard Thurman. So we've had mystics. We're people who believe in hooping like C.L. Franklin. We've got Dr. Martin Luther King, who was a preacher who advocated for social justice. We've got uh, Sojourner Truth, who was a social justice advocate. We've got uh, preachers like Maria Stewart, who believed in social justice and piety. So we are a, a group that's not homogenous. Uh, we everything you can name in terms of how you get to God, how you understand God, how you help the people of God. We've done it. Uh, and uh, so it bothers me uh, when it's called the black church, uh, because there is no one black church. That's just a shorthand phrase that white folk came up with because they didn't want to delve into the richness and the vastness of the African-American faith uh, community. 
we also included, although I'm Christian and Jesus is sufficient for me, we also included Muslims uh, in the text. Because again, our faith community is broad and wide uh, and has always been for as long uh, as we've been here. So we wanted to make sure that the whole story was told. Mm -hmm. um, we talked about uh, uh, a voodoo priestess. Uh, we talked about uh, just people um, from uh, all areas of our faith community. And then when we ran out of space, uh, <laughs> I begged Norton to at least allow me to list some other notable preachers. So at the back of the text, you see a list of almost 300 names of people that uh, have been erased pretty much from history. Uh, and we wanted to give future scholars that information so that they can make sure that those names don't die uh, and that the world knows of the vastness of our tradition. Because it's also the case that on occasion, we don't value our own tradition. Mm -hmm. We don't know how rich uh, the tradition is, how important people are. So when I was doing the anthology, one of the things that broke my heart, and this began with the African-American Pulpit Journal, we've had preachers who were amazing preachers and contributed greatly to communities, and their material had been thrown away by their children and their families. Mm. They didn't know uh, who they had they didn't appreciate the richness. So there were so many names that uh, we only were only able to publish a little more than a hundred sermons, but there were so many people we wanted to publish and we couldn't get the information. Mm. All we had were brief snapshots, uh, any written material uh, had been thrown away. People just didn't know. Mm. They just, or didn't realize the importance. And so, I want to say to every preacher out there, uh, regardless of whether you pastor a church or you're engaged in another ministry, please keep your records. Keep your records. Your records matter. Don't just keep them on a computer. Keep them so that the world can get access to them in the future. And if your family's not interested, give them to a school. Give them to one of your students but make sure that your legacy does not go to the grave with you. Mm, that's, that's great because I think, you know, there's this assumption that African-Americans didn't have much to contribute because it wasn't documented or like you said, people didn't keep records. So this whole idea of, you know, you said as a, it's easy for whiteness to hijack Christianity in America if we don't keep the record. So I think that's so vital. And I appreciate you saying that. Uh, one of the other things that I think is important about the anthology is that you guys included um, the biography of those uh, with the sermons. Absolutely. Yes. Um, because it shows the context of, of the sermon um, and shows the background of the person uh why was that important was that the reason that it was important yeah. because all preaching is particular it's particular it's different to get up on a sunday morning and preach in a well-heeled or wealthy church 
where the members can go out and get into their nice cars and then leave and go to decent homes. That's different than doing what Jarena Lee did, uh, riding around on horseback and sometimes in boats, going to places that didn't want to hear women preach in the first place. So not only was she struggling just to get there, she was dealing with a society that had no interest in women preaching, women hadn't even gained the right to vote. And then she was a black woman on top of all of that. And blacks were still being lynched and treated as three fifths of a person. Says the Lord, uh, that's different. That helps you to look at that sermon differently, or at least we hope that it did. And the other reason we listed the biographies is again, we want future scholars to say, your history is worth writing about. You have some amazing people in your history. Share this with your children. Share this with your church. And I'm so glad that the African-American Museum is finally open uh, and sharing uh, a great deal of that uh, religious history. Mm-hmm. I just recently visited there uh, a couple months ago uh, for my, well, it was last month okay. uh, and I loved it. I, I saw the exhibit on Jarena Lee and I was so excited that they included that um, yes. to show that black women have been in the fight um, from from the beginning of the black church. So I think yeah, and I, I was told that uh, they're going to feature something, I don't know if it will necessarily be about me, but that the pulpit and some other things are going to be featured um, in the future. So uh, we're excited about that. Oh, that's amazing. Well, yes, yes. If you had to pick uh, maybe two or three sermons out of Oh my uh, goodness. (laughs) The anthology that that you think Our listeners, uh, our viewers should should uh, know about which one. I know you have uh, over a hundred. So, oh my <laughs> goodness, that's an awful question. That's just like asking someone which of your children do you love most. Um, hmm. Well, maybe not the best, but maybe the most uh, ones that stood out to you while you were doing it. Any of them stood out to me. That's the thing. Uh, I mean, I literally tried to imagine the preacher standing uh, and preaching some of those sermons from Sojourner uh, going into Ain't Our Woman to C.L. Franklin when he first preached The Eagle Stirs Her Nest to, um, oh, the, who was it, uh, William, uh, not William Borders, um, the gentleman who came before Martin King at Dexter Avenue uh, preaching uh, the sermon, hand, I think it was, trying to, I'm forgetting my people, handed sermon handicap lives or Dr. Dr. Gardner Taylor preaching in his own clothes or uh, Claudette Copeland and what are you doing here uh, about uh, the prophet hiding out in a cave and thinking about black folk hiding out and not standing and taking uh, their rightful place. So uh, I was in heaven. I was just in, <laughs> I was in heaven uh, with uh, the, the preaching because it was so varied. It was so different. People came from so many different backgrounds. 
Um, so I was just in heaven. So there's not just one um, or even two or three um, that because I think we got down to a hundred uh, but initially, uh, we had uh, close to 200 mm. um, in terms of people and many more sermons um, than that uh, to choose from Caesar Clark and the worms ate him. Uh, the worm, I think he named it the worms got him. And throughout the sermons, he said, but the worms ate up his flesh. Uh, just, I was in heaven. I was just, <laughs> I was just in heaven reading it. Prathia Hall between the wilderness and a cliff. Uh, just, I mean, just wonderful. Just wonderful, wonderful sermons. And when you see those biography and you can biographies and you can put them in historical context and see the great theology, because that's one of the biggest lies that's been told about black people. We could preach, but we didn't have any theology, uh, which is absurd. Uh, and you can see the theology so strong, so rich, so varied. Uh, it it was just wonderful. Mm -hmm. I, I I love that you said that and you called out that lie. I think I'm gonna cut that out and put that on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine with me. And but that lie is pretty much it's still circulating that mm -hmm. we either had no theology when we first got to America. And that it was a long time. It wasn't until the 70s that we developed theologies. And you're like, are, are you kidding me? And, uh, you know, it wasn't until the 70s that more of our theology began to be written down. But uh, God knows we had it uh, before we arrived on these shores. We understood uh, God as the... Uh, one who controls the universe and controls uh, our lives. Uh, we understood the power of the earth. And while it was important to take care uh, of the earth, we believed in the power of the sun and the moon and creation. So it's just, like I said, it's just another lie that needed to be rebut. But the lies about the African-American faith community will continue to be told in minor ways or major ways unless we write our own stories. Mm -hmm. If we don't write it down, it won't occur. It just won't occur. If you don't care about your own faith community and your own history, others will care less. Now, they'll hijack parts of your history, but the what they will do with it will not be what was intended for it. Mm -hmm. They'll use it for their purposes. Mm -hmm. So I'm determined that we get a great deal written down. I have spent uh, the past 20 years working with and encouraging young scholars to say, right, Yes, you can get a D-man. Yes, you can get a PhD. And you can write. Do not let people convince you that you can't write and that you don't have anything important to say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's monumental for us because that kind of go pushes against that false narrative 
if we write our own story, mm-hmm. we invest money in our own platforms, uh, we won't have to worry about uh, other powers trying to hijack our story, as you were saying. Exactly. So, yeah, and correct some of the false narratives that have been hijacked over time. Mm-hmm. Correct some of those narratives that are out there about uh, hooping being a menstrual show uh and those kinds of things instead of a very difficult art form to pull off when it's well done uh just correct some of the narrative uh and the narrative unfortunately if it stays out there too long if white people put it out because white people are supposedly when it comes to homiletics they're the thinkers and black people are the emotive Outside mm. of preaching. And unless, and believe it or not, our own people have bought into that false narrative. And they talk about much of Black preaching as just being emotional. Um, so unless our people come along and say, no, uh, I've got a suspicion that something might be wrong with that hijacked narrative, here's how I see it. Here's how I have lived it. Here's how I understand it. Uh, Unless that happens, uh, people will continue to buy these false narratives, including black folk and folk around the world. So many people, when they read the article that I did in the anthology on hooping, said to me, I didn't know hooping, there was that much to hooping. And I said, well, I'm very glad to move that narrative along and get to the truth um, about hooping. Mm-hmm. If you could share anything about hooping for those who haven't read your article, what would it be? It would be that it's a very difficult art form to pull off. Well, it's just very, very difficult uh, to do. Um, and it traveled with us from Africa and we were able to bring to America uh, our rhythms and our songs and our way of communicating um, the gospel. And then we mixed that with the chords that we learned in America to push forward, hooping um, on these shores. So it's not about, like I said, just hoop, just hollering uh, to raise the emotions of people, which is why, how it has been painted by so many, including some of our people. It's very difficult to do, uh, but hooping never stands alone. It always stands with a well-written text. It stands with outstanding theology, and this is when it's done well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting how much I've heard hooping talked down. But if you ask the average African American preacher who understands its power, they would say, I wish I had that in my preaching arsenal, even if I didn't use it all the time. <laughs> I wish I had it mm-hmm. because they've seen the power in it. And what I just attempted to do in the article was to give some history uh, and to put it in context and help people really understand that rich art form. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I think it's important, like you said, to understand the history. And and I always, you know, push back on my friends who might more, more be that are black that are in more conservative evangelical uh, spaces, uh-huh. uh, and say, you know, while we love, you know, these reformed heroes, we we must understand that their context is different. So of exactly. course, they're not talking about social justice. Most of their members are middle class white people who don't have that struggle. So if exactly. you compare, you're comparing apples and oranges with what their the content of their preaching and the content of our preaching because their context is not the same. Yeah, and I but I think though that the social justice motif uh, is cyclical. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that there are cycles uh, that occur in history that push social justice to the fore. Uh, we're living in a time right now where I, I'm hearing more social justice messages. Uh, there's still the prosperity messages. There's still the priestly messages. Uh, there's still the, the uh, messages uh, that you will hear on a typical Sunday morning, but I'm hearing more social justice messages uh, because this country and the world is being shaken by forces of nativism and uh, individualism and nationalism. And uh, so I think more and more you're going to hear social justice messages as more people are hungry, more people don't have health care, more people can't pay for colleges, more people can't buy a home or get a decent job. Uh, I think you're going to start to see that people who hadn't given much thought to social justice are going to uh, change their mind. Uh, like I said, it's it's the historic moment that pushes the preachers forth. Um, and there always uh, will rise preachers who will say, wait a minute, this is what's needed in this moment. Uh, yes, we have more middle-class black folk but we still have a lot of poor black folk. Yes, we have more Latina and Asian uh, and other folk who are middle-class, but we still have so many who are poor and are suffering and are being gunned down in the streets. That requires a different gospel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's, that's so crucial. For those who haven't um, been on the your uh, lectionary, um what 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 would you encourage why would you uh suggest it or um i'm trying to use the right words what would be what would be the reason why this would be effective not only for african americans but for mm-hmm. those who are are white or asian that are 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 watching us as well sure as i said the lectionary is used by people around the world and has been for more than uh, eight years. Um, And I would encourage everyone to go to the lectionary that has an interest in understanding African-American faith, culture, and music. We put it all there. So you get to see our theology. You get to see, to learn our culture and our music, and then how we live that out in this case, as Christian people throughout the years, the decades, uh, the centuries, how we have lived that. Because uh, one of the things that I was careful to do was to make sure that on every single moment on the calendar, 
we gave it some historical context. We didn't just say, oh, here's what happened in 2000, so-and-so. We try to say that for anyone, uh, regardless of race, who's interested in understanding uh, the African-American story, because that's really what we did. Uh, we did the story of African-Americans. If you want to better understand that story and teach it to children, uh, and the lectionary has been used a great deal uh, in high schools uh, because we uh, purposefully sought out high schools and grammar schools and libraries uh, to have them make the lectionary a teaching tool so that people can see, as I said, the full measure of our faith, the full measure of our history, the full measure of who we are as Christian folk. This is a Christian lectionary. As Christian folk um, in America uh, who, who were not born here uh, and who, uh, unlike uh, what Ben Carson said, we are not immigrants. <laughs> We, not, we are not immigrants, but we are responsible for much of the fabric of this society. Much of what people now know and take for granted as America was built on the backs and through the blood, the bloodshed of Black folk. And so I want that story to be told in a full way, not just snippets, but in a full way. So through 220,000 pages, we've attempted to do that. That's amazing. And that, how long did it take you for that? That's what I meant to ask you. How long did it take you and Dr. Thomas to do the anthology? Uh, let's see, it took about six years. Mm, wow. It took about six years uh, because we were both, you know, full-time doing other things as well. Um, he was pastoring a church, et cetera, and I was running projects. Um, it took about six years. Yeah. You know, altogether, it took about six years because you had to get the copyrights from people. Sometimes that took a couple of years just to get a copyright. Uh, so, you know, then you had to uh, get permissions uh, you know, copyrights and permissions from families in some cases. And in some cases you had families where uh, they disagreed on who should give the permission. Mm. Uh, and that was the case with Elijah Muhammad's family. I think we, we went for, uh, and talked to them for three years. And be but because there were divisions in the family about who was con in control of aspects of the estate, we were never able to use that material. Oh, wow. uh, and there were quite a few pre preachers because people have asked, why didn't you put so-and-so in and then so-and-so? And in quite a few cases, we simply could not get the permissions. We could mm -hmm. not get them. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I appreciate you and Dr. Thomas' hard work because this, this book is necessary for us and it will live on. Um, and, and be a resource uh, for future generations. So thank you. This has been such a rich time and I've enjoyed myself and I've learned so much thank and I've you. been encouraged. Um, for those who uh, want to get in contact with you and your work and discover more about what you're doing, um, how can they get in touch with you via the website or social media handles? Uh, 
I'm all over Facebook. <laughs> I do a broadcast every Monday at 11.45 Eastern Standard Time on Facebook, so they can catch me there. They can hit me on Twitter at Dr. Martha Simmons. Uh, send me a tweet. Uh, they can go to Women of Color in Ministry.org and uh, find out the women, the work that I'm doing there. And if they just say, I just want to find you personally, they can go to women of color in ministry at gmail.com and send me an email. Uh, I know uh, I hear from people all the time. We can't believe that you answer emails. We can't believe that you will answer us on Facebook and et cetera. It may not be right away, but I always, uh, if I got it, uh, I always respond to people or someone on my team will reach out and uh, try to uh, respond. So we love hearing from preachers and professors and those who want to be professors and uh, those who are just pushing forth the African-American faith community in some way. I'd love to hear from you. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Kimmins. I really enjoyed this time, and I know our listeners will as well. Thank you for inviting me, and God bless you and the work that you are doing. Uh, and uh, I am praying that it will go forth in a major way. Uh, we need more people who are trying to educate our people and the world. God bless you. Yeah, bless you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, you can catch all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com or you can subscribe on iTunes and Google Play by searching the Jew 3 Project. You can also get better equipped with our Bible engagement app by searching the App Store, Google Play or Apple App Store by searching the Jude 3 Project, and that will help you better engage scripture on a daily basis. If you would like to donate to the Jude 3 Project, go to jude3project.com and hit the Donate tab. In addition, you can follow us on, in, on social media by searching at Jude 3 Project on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, here at the Jude 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.